Okay, so we are back on the air with Ballistic Strength Radio. Um, uh, with uh, Charlie Fornelli, master of sport, uh, Canadian kettlebell pioneer of sorts. Um, <laughs> did I hit all the marks there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Keep it coming. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> okay. Um, so there are a few things I wanted to ask you. We were actually chatting a little bit at the IKFF meet in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and you were getting me up to speed with uh, the fact that you had recently experienced an injury. Uh, could you tell uh, the listeners uh, what kind of injury it was, um, how long ago that happened, how it happened, and what you've been doing to get yourself back up to quote-unquote normal? All right. Well, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I've had lots of little naggy things, but this is the first real big thing that was not like a typical me injury. Um, I was playing soccer and, you know, did the usual thing, tried to kick a ball that was above my pay grade and felt a pretty significant pop in my hip and, uh, Gave it a bit of time. It was getting better. Did some physio. Um, tried, you know, being kind of a dummy and playing soccer not too long after. And, I mean, uh, within two minutes of the game starting, two passes, I, uh, I felt my hip just, it just popped and it felt completely unstable. And I was done. And then after that, it actually had, um, it didn't really swell at all initially in the first injury. How about the pain? The second, um, it was quite painful at first. And then this second time was very painful and it, sw- it got quite swollen and bled quite a bit. So, you know, whatever I did initially, I completely mucked up the second time around and, did end up tearing my hamstring quite uh you know like proximal to the hip so it was uh just a really awkward injury um i'm not a very uh flexible individual anyway so this just made it really challenging to do a lot of activities so it coincided fairly well with some other things going on and uh i ended up taking quite a bit of time off um months of almost all training kettlebells for sure and uh but you know gradually started fitting things back in so it was just lots of mobilizing um a lot of you know some ball work you know like getting into you know like tennis ball lacrosse ball getting into that upper hip just being that it was quite difficult to get at it any other way um and gradually started and and you're so you're a kinesiologist by trade yeah yes um to some degree and now do you, when you work with clients do you have much experience bringing them back from injury or is that for the most part taken care of when you take say referrals from physios and things like that yeah generally i would be doing well not generally i would be doing quote unquote post rehab 
So I would be sort of more after the acute healing process and they've sort of gotten the okay. And then that's when I would come in. Um, and then now I'm a relatively clumsy and oafish individual. So I do tend to bang myself up. So I've had plenty of time working on myself, but client wise, I'm not that, that, uh, that first responder when it comes to injury. And so due to the uh, severity of this injury, um, I mean, how, what kind of proportion, uh, as far as your own personal rehab went with this injury, how much of that came from working with a physio and just using the knowledge base that you have personally? Um, For myself, honestly, I felt like, and this is how I've always felt, and this is in absolutely no way, shape, or form meant to be a knock on physios or anything like that. But for myself, I've always... Physios are smarter than me. I give them that that credit where that credit is due. So I've always appreciated that that real, okay, let's see what's wrong, and then I'll run with it. Um, you know, I get ideas, and mainly it's like them just kicking me in the butt and saying, do the things that you know you should be doing. Or telling you are, what things you definitely shouldn't be doing. Yeah, and I mean, generally, once I have a have an idea, because I've always been quite interested in that side of things. Regardless, I like even though I'm not specifically working with injuries, um, I am very often working around chronic pain and things like that, just with the population that I work with. So um, I do spend a lot of time following individuals who. Um, talk a lot about pain science and and things like of that nature and exercises to avoid in in this instance and that instance. So it it was really just getting that confidence to say, okay, this is what I need to work on and then going forward with it. And that's really where I felt like for me personally, you know, a physio has really fit that role um, in 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 these later years. Not in the early years. Early years, I was not nearly as interested in things as I am now. Yeah. Uh, so some of the, the, the narrative behind um, the difference between what a physio is suited for and maybe what you're suited for is, um, you know, a physio is getting someone from a subnormal condition to, a, you know, more or less a normal condition. And then... Um, well, you're more or less still doing that, but in the sense of like being a strength coach per se, you're, that's leaning more towards performance, getting someone a little bit above average and let's face it, average is not really that great in the first place. So the, the information we get from physios is there's a place for it and we, and we use that to help inform our decisions. But once, uh, like for someone like you, especially I mean, you've been rehabbing in somewhat of a, a remedial sense, a, a really basic sense, but then you're also interested in getting yourself back up to a high level of competitive status. So yeah. that's where the physio is not really going to help you that much or, 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 you know, or, yeah. I mean, it, the means that? to be able to do that with a physio is fantastic, but unfortunately most of us don't have that means, right? Like, I mean, I'd love to have a physio on staff, 
you know, having that would, of course, be a very fantastic thing. But no, absolutely, that's a that's a big part of it. Is is it's about getting, you know, when you're, and I think that's where our, you know, that's where we as strength coaches and uh, kettlebell coaches or whatever it is, in, in that regard, that's where we really that's where our role fits in right is is moving beyond that that just general baseline and stepping things up yeah yeah i and i myself have had my fair share of injuries um now i've never actually had a injury other than say like chronic um tendinosis that kind of thing um I've never had an injury that was kettlebell sport related. Usually mm-hmm. it's most of the time where it's, it becomes like a debilitating thing is when I'm, uh, on a few occasions where I've back squatted. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and which is, which sucks cause I love squatting. Um, yeah. it's one of my favorite things to work on, but at the same time, when you've got too many things on your plate, sometimes it's difficult to, uh, put as much focus into that one, area as much as should be given to and sometimes sometimes things happen um and so the my most recent episode with that i had gone to a physio and and mainly i was trying to get some form of diagnosis something to better inform how i was going to get myself back to a competitive status and um thankfully uh their opinion was that it wasn't anything too severe she uh she said that the uh, articulations were moving okay but she said that i may have irritated um some facets mm-hmm. and that was the main thing so um and she didn't really have anything much more than that to offer me and it was basically just you know do a couple of these exercises do a few gentle stretches proceed with caution that kind of thing it was it was more of that um a little bit of reassurance and a little mm. bit of encouragement to, you know, start slow, but you'll be able to get back where you are kind of thing. And sometimes, at the very least, that's what you need because otherwise you're flying blind a little bit and you just know, don't know what's going on back there. While at the same time, you can get the opinion of an expert, but also un- unless you have an x-ray or an MRI type thing, even then still you don't really have the clearest picture. And I was like, you know I've probably got a <laughs> a bunch of bulge discs back there. And she's like, yeah, that's probably true. Um, but that's what we know about, uh, the epidemiology of spinal health is that a lot of people, if you take any, uh, a room, any given room full of people, they probably have asymptomatic spinal conditions, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean it's good or bad. It just, it's just, it's there. And, uh, and it's, it's good to be aware of it, but um, you should, you know, we, tr- we try not to let that stuff kind of hold us back. Um, so yeah. with your injuries, now this one happened playing soccer. Have you had experience with injuries specific to kettlebell sport? Um, you know what? Most of it has been, like you said, more just kind of tendinosis, tendinopathy kind of things. Sorry. Um, Uh, yeah. So, and and a lot of times it's been like things around the wrist, um, and then occasionally some stuff with shoulders. Me personally, I would say the only injury that I've ever had 
where I would definitely say is a kettlebell injury or an injury as a result of my kettlebell lifting was really me doing a one arm long cycle set with the 48 kilo after doing a biathlon with the 28s. And that was the first time I'd ever done the 28s for a 10 minute jerk set. And I, you know, pinched something in my back and, you know, going overhead with the, with that 48 kilo. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, but that that's that's I don't blame that on the kettlebells. I blame that on a on the me overhead yeah. positioning. You know what I mean. So that's where I say like that's less of a kettlebell injury because I've done it doing other things, right? Like yeah. Um, it's but yeah. Like, any <laughs> any sport, um, especially ones that are highly repetitive, are mm-hmm. are going to lend themselves to little things. Um, there's a yeah. reason why we call basic chondromalacia runner's knee right um Mm. it's it's so repetitive it lends itself to um some inflammation in the patellar tendon or in that general area so same thing with kettlebells and i've i've read some other guys uh some other russians being asked you know what's the most common injuries well usually elbows and knees right because those were using those joints over and over and over again um, so yeah, Ooh. well, thankfully yeah. I haven't had any, um, issues with the knees, elbows mm-hmm. get sore from time to time. Um, yeah. although I've, uh, they felt, felt pretty good recently. I always get this, um, stiffness in my wrists though. And every, like I could probably crack my wrists every 10 minutes. Yeah. Basically it just, it, it builds up and then 10 minutes later, I just get a little, a uh, little torque and it just, uh, yeah. clicks and that has not been that that's happened since kettlebell sport definitely um yeah. so and that's just from a lot of reps using the arms and stuff like that mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think of uh anything else i mean rack position was definitely a chore trying to get it right um mm-hmm. I have some a whole bunch of knots between my shoulder blades that occasionally, oh, yeah. sometimes when I when I start even a uh, long cycle set, um, I'll just pull something back there and it'll just resonate up into the back of my neck and I'm like, God damn it! Um, yeah. That actually happened at an in house once at Linda's where right before as I was warming up for my long cycle set, I got a, a quick pull back there and uh, but uh, it didn't hamper me that much. It's one of those things where once you kind of get into it you can kind of put it out of your head a little bit. It didn't really immobilize me. But uh, yeah. that's one nagging thing that comes up, and that's not really um, causative from from kettlebell. It's, that's that's kind of one thing that's just always been there and from years of working out and lack of, yeah, yeah. Lack of rolling that area out, maybe. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, yeah, that's a spot for me too, definitely. What do you look for in a coach? Or what do you like in a coach? And maybe what is a contrast between your coaching strategies and other coaches? So, and we'll, we'll quickly put this in perspective. Um, and as much as you want to not take credit for the um, accomplishments of other people, you've helped, uh, you know, probably several people a great deal with their kettlebell technique. Um, Catherine has said so as well. Uh, but most recently, Todd's made some great strides with his kettlebell game, Todd uh, Schweb. And, um, and you, I think are a large part, um, responsible for that. 
So what was your approach coaching Todd? And uh, was there any contrast with maybe how some of your coaches have coached you? Okay, well, um, I'll say mentoring, mentoring. (laughs) Um, I've always, you know, for me personally, I'm not probably as uh, organized as I should be to really step into that full on coaching role. Um, but I really, I've always, I like movement. I like positioning and that's what I've really liked about with kettlebells. And now I think those were the things that I helped. Um, you know, I, I was able to kind of pass a, a lot along to Catherine and, you know, to, to an extent, you know, with Todd as well, of course, Todd and I have, you know, very different body types and, but still, you know, it's passing on those those kind of tenets that are part of kettlebell lifting and and you know rack positioning and you know the bump and all of these little things. Um, so personally, for me, when I look at coaching, I really look at it and I try to say, okay, you know, what does the individual need? Uh, which of course, I mean, this is all very, you know, I'm not trying to say like I'm breaking ground, but like, I'm really, I'm looking at what the individual needs. I don't. And I mean, maybe that's the difference between working with a few people kind of in a somewhat formal way, or maybe a little bit informal way versus having a, you know, a roster of 10 or 15 athletes that you're working with. Right. But for me, it's, it's about what the individual needs. It's about, you know, just figuring out the ways that we can make that athlete better. And that may mean programming that may mean a greater focus or a greater attention to detail in terms of, you know, like uh, practicing positioning of, you know, in the different portions of the lifts, whatever the lifts we're talking about or whatever the sport is. Right. Um, I find sometimes with coaching, I've had a lot of, or I see a lot of programming coaches where it's, you know, they're great with Excel and, you know, every week you've got your workout, but not necessarily do you get feedback, feedback, not necessarily. Yeah. Are you getting anything that's, that's really saying, okay, this, or, okay, I see that you did this set, you know, I asked for five minutes at 10 RPM, you know, you did six minutes at seven RPM, you know, it's like, okay, well, what's going on here? We need to figure something out because that's not what I asked for, but you did something else. So let's see what we need to do, you know, and, and and make those changes instead of it all just being very, you know, five minutes this week, six minutes next week, seven minutes, right? And really looking at what that specific individual needs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's kind of my thing. Like, it's a case by case basis. And, yeah. and, and and I mean, yeah. do you think that's more for efficiency sake, time management, or is that more just keeping it simple and addressing those specific needs that need to be dealt with at the time? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of like, are you talking in my way? Um, when you're, uh, when you're mentoring, 
It yeah. Was. So like for me, yeah, it's really about, it's, it's about putting time where time will be best served. You know, um, it's not about doing, you know, five, 10 minute snat sets. It's about doing, you know, that one or two really good sets, or it's not necessarily about doing, you know, 250 reps of one minute on one minute off jerks. It's about doing such and such a one minute on one minute off with the quality and the technique that I'm looking for at the speed that I'm looking for. It's, you know, so it really, it's kind of a combination of individual basis, you know, of course, um, everybody is is you know some people need more fitness some people need maybe a little bit more power some people need more rack positioning some people need so it all depends on on that individual and what you're trying to build for them so um when you have someone who you're training or coaching or whatever so let's say you have a client i have many i have many clients who train twice a week um, mm-hmm. they might do stuff on their own, but it might be more like just boot camps or the odd cardio or outside activity. Um, yes. so where, what I'm interested in is, uh, seeing progression through the things that we're focusing on in our sessions. And, um, there's a, when you're only doing that, when you only have two days a week to work with them, you will kind of hit that plateau where there's only so much more, um, progress you can make without actually getting in the necessary volume, right? So have you had that experience with some kettlebell lifters or is it your opinion that what some kettlebell lifters, especially in North America might lack is actually getting enough training sessions in the week, right? Their technique is good. All their other stuff is good, but what they probably lack is just not getting in enough sessions or their sessions are too short or yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I definitely think, um, in our, in North America, especially, and, you know, I would say with a lot of kind of the, those, the, the lifters who are kind of half in half out, um, there can be a lot there 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 oftentimes is just a little bit too much focus on workout and not enough focus on um for lack of a better training and you know like you sent me that article great cook but there's a little bit too much focus on workout not enough focus or or too much focus on um yeah like sweating and not enough focus on really practicing and training things and the practicing and training, I think, oftentimes gets left behind because it doesn't necessarily always feel like workout. A workout always feels like a workout, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But sometimes practice doesn't feel like a workout, and sometimes training doesn't necessarily – training generally feels like a workout, but it's a totally different kind of a workout, you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't get to just shut your brain off and, and just – you know, do your this and you have your breathers here and there because it's very, it's more structured. It's more about what are we doing on this day? Um, practice sometimes doesn't feel like that much of a workout because it's about that individual movement or that individual lift. It's not about making you tired because, well, you're, when you're 
most fatigued is not the best way to learn things. No. It might be the best way to learn how to do things when fatigued, but not when you're just in those those real building the foundation stage. So coming back to, to training sessions that um, I or you might do at home, um, where our training sessions are very much still geared to practicing our craft, um, we can still achieve a certain level of fatigue while still maintaining a high level of quality. But so there's this, this one way of organizing your, your training where you do like a heavy set for maybe, um, I don't know, maybe three to maybe even six minutes. Or um, I, I generally don't do, I often don't do sets even that long. Um, I'm really a big fan of shorter sets. I do a lot of EMOMs and I do a lot of uh, uh, just generic interval training. Um, but uh, so one approach is doing like maybe a couple of short sets with a heavy bell and then doing a back off set with a lighter bell without actually any rest in between. So now in that sense, you're a little bit pre-fatigued, but then you're going down to a lighter bell and perhaps sprinting it or going at a above competition pace where you'll definitely experience some more fatigue. But you're you're doing the movement, you're doing your uh, sport. And so in that situation, uh, you're practicing in a fatigued state, which again, like we just said, doesn't necessarily lend itself to better performance when you actually go and step out on the platform. So, I mean, how valuable do you think it is doing, and I'll get, I'll just give you an example. Okay. I might go into the gym and do two, three minute sets with the 24s with maybe a couple minutes rest in between. But after the second set, three minute set of 24s, I'll go right into a set of, uh, with the twenties and maybe just go for, I'm shit. I don't know, four minutes, we'll say, or three or another three minutes, but without any actual rest in between. Um, do you think there's more usefulness in doing that or doing those two sets of 24s and then going and then hopping on my Zbex and doing that to, um, to elicit that fatigue? Or to, or to no. kind of lengthen out, get a longer tail of fatigue on the on the end of that workout. Yeah, I, I mean that's definitely. I think that's you know that's a a good question, um, and I think it's an interesting question actually, and I, and it's something that I think we have to look at. What are we trying to achieve in that given set? if we are literally just trying to achieve, you know, conditioning, then I would say, you know, for me personally, I would say do those, maybe do three of those 24 sets and then finish on the Z-Bex, you know, and really focus on, okay, I did my, my training and then I did my, you know, then I did my conditioning. Um, that doesn't mean to say that I don't think that you can't get conditioning from doing sport. I just think we have to be really careful that, you know, we're not throwing out, you know, we're not just, we're not letting conditioning supersede technique. And that's, I think the, the biggest thing is a lot of people when they use conditioning with their sport, um, 
especially in a sport like ours that is very groove, very repetitive. It's about doing the same thing over and over and over and over, like literally the same thing with as little variance as possible uh, for as long as possible. And so what can oftentimes happen, and I mean, I do it, everybody does it, um, if we're not super careful, if we're not monitoring, our technique changes when we're sprinting, our technique changes when we're doing you know if i'm trying to do one minute on one minute off let's say with the 24s and if i do it at 20 reps a minute say and on the 20th rep yes i'm desiring a break but everything is looking good the rack is strong i'm still got a lot a lot of pop my second dip isn't you know gone versus if i do it at 25 reps a minute where you know, yeah, okay, the, the last 25 seconds are really me literally just sprinting out reps. And then I go, okay, how is this going to translate? You know, so I think that's where we just have to be careful. And I don't say, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. And like you said, dropping that bell weight, maybe instead of dropping to the 20, drop into the 16. Because then you really can push your tempo yeah and still maintain that quality um that is actually yeah generally a a rule of thumb i think dropping down to 50 to 60 percent is usually a bit better um i just said 20s because i wanted to be a man you know well yeah (laughs) um yeah i think that's really yeah really interesting topic because back offsets uh with kettlebells are a really popular method and uh i like them um but i found a lot of value out of hopping on the zbex right after my sets and doing that um and uh i think i attribute a lot of my success with my long cycle set with the 24s um the past weekend in Vancouver with being able to set up correctly in the rack position before each jerk. Uh, I say this to my, uh, people all the time, set up, set up, set up, set up, set up. If your setup's not good, everything that comes after that is going to be crap. You have to set up correctly. That sets the stage. And I, mm-hmm. uh, the, the other day when I was doing, um, my long cycle at a fast tempo, um, I found my start, myself starting to get into a situation where I wasn't settling into my rack and then my jerk started kind of flying around all over the place a little bit and it just didn't feel smooth anymore. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, and, you know, we say this over and over again, you know, prioritize technique, prioritize quality over quantity. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, there's something to be said for making sure your setup is, is right before you go into that next transitional phase. Um, Absolutely. I've hmm? no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say my, my, you know, you say setup, setup, setup. My big thing that I always kind of, when I was uh, talking to a lot of different lifters and that was set up or I used to always just call it getting back to zero. You know what I mean? And zero for me, was my version of perfection right and and i don't mean perfection in terms of but my version of the way that i should be doing that lift so my rack position means you know zero for me in the rack means elbows in 
you know, feet square, hips square, no bounce, you know, the arms hit the body and the elbows sit in, you know, um, zero for me in the bump is that quick down up, drive the weights and then standing up in that position. That's zero for me. And every time, all the time spent in between zero is like drawing away, drawing excess energy, you know? So, you know, if you think of it like that way, yeah, it's, it's a good quality clean, get the bells into position and then you're set. And then when you're ready to do your bump, you just drop straight down and boom, bump it up. But the elbows, you know, it's all about that, that maintaining that positioning through each portion of the movement. And as soon as you start blurring away from that, that position, that setup or that zero, you're just ripping away from yourself. So that's why it's, it's finding that, okay, in a fatigue state, still being there, Mm -hmm. not letting yourself get away with, you know, and that's, that would be my biggest thing that I, from the weekend was, and and where I know I have the biggest, uh, I'll make the biggest ground is just being kind of mentally tough enough to not allow myself out of what I call zero for me, you know, so getting away from that sort of off that off center rack getting away from, you know, um, doing, doing the side racking. And, I don't think and I've ever seen you do a side rack until Vancouver. I don't think I've well, ever seen you do it. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. <laughs> um, but you know, it's just one of those things, right. And, and that's where I know, like for me personally, I, that's where I need to have that work and that's, that's volume and you can't get volume without volume, you know? You don't know what it you don't know what minute eight feels like unless you do minutes one through seven. Mm-hmm. And that's what's hard about our training. You know, it's hard to train minute eight when you're always starting fresh. So that's where those back offsets can be good. Yeah. You know, or not. I don't mean to say like that's the only way that they're good. But I mean, that's where they can be super useful is going, OK, this is it, we're not in a stage where I'm doing an eight minute set. Or maybe I don't do eight-minute sets, but hey, I do three minutes rest, three minutes rest, and then bang, straight into it. And I'm kind of trying to artificially create that that scenario of eight-minute, you know, well, even if, though it's not real. Yeah, and if you're training at above competition pace anyways, um, yeah, I mean, you should be able to achieve minute eight fatigue at minute six. Yeah. Right? And you can you can synthesize that. Um yeah, no, that's 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 really interesting. Plus, I mean, above comp, you know, above competition pace forces you, especially if you're really, really on on point with your technique, it forces you to get into those positions quicker. Like if you can make if you can make ten RPM feel slow, then when you do eight RPM, you're gonna be like, man what's with all this time to breathe and relax? You know, mm-hmm. if you can make 12 RPM feel slow, 10 RPM feels like I have like so much time here. You know what I mean? And that's where I think a lot of people, you know, and that's always been my, the, the thing I don't like about the 28 kilo bell, the, the in-between bells for ranks. I like the ranks across bells, you know, like CMS for, you know, rank one, 
and CMS with 24 say is it encourages people to push pace. Yep. You know, I'm not going to learn how to lift with speed unless I lift with speed, you know, and all the sprint sets are great, but sprinting, you know, doing a 10, 11 reps a minute for a minute is not the same as doing nine, 10 a minute for five, six, seven, eight minutes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even no matter how many times I do it. Yep. Um, let's go back into, um, getting to your zero. Uh, cause mm-hmm. it just occurred to me, um, Eric St. Ange has been uh, putting up videos on certain technical aspects of kettlebell lifting. And I think it was the last video where he was talking about getting back into the rack position from overhead and whether or not you should lift the heels or not. Now, I seem to recall Mm -hmm. you actually being a fan of keeping your heels down and just dropping straight into rack. Is that true? Um, Again... I was like this this schizophrenic individual at the set in Vancouver where I had no idea what I wanted to do and it was heels up sometimes it was heels down and but generally I especially with 24s and I, and I say that because you know I was working with 32s for quite a while um so when I was working with the 32s and then doing a 24 I would more likely not lift the heels um and that's because for me, lifting the heels tended to be a little bit more of a, it was just a little bit longer, uh, you know, like, you know, I, I just think of it as like a longer phase. And generally when I would lift the heels, I would also then, and again, this isn't to say that it's a bad thing, but for me, I would also do like the, the knee bend when I would catch. So I would be more absorbing than I really needed to be. Mm-hmm. And that would be more wearing on my legs and more wearing on my quads and not having that quite, you know, as straight a leg position as some people can get in the rack. I do have to be a little, I, you know, I, I am more mindful about my quads being fatigued, but say with 32s, I would probably do more of a toe lift to try and reach up and get those bells kind of into the chest and then settle it down. So it becomes a really short, even though I am meeting them halfway kind yeah. of thing. If that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I started adopting that technique, actually just kind of keeping my heels down. And and I, and I practiced that a lot in training actually is particularly with the lighter bells because mm-hmm. obviously it's easier. But uh, if, if anyone trains just basic presses as well, I mean, you get that experience just lowering the bells back into rack position uh, with your heels down anyway. But um, that is something I've actually practiced. And yeah, it will save a little bit of time. Um, the other thing that will save a little bit of time is uh, not doing a pendulum swing for your clean, right? Just going into more of a hard style clean. Um, it'll get you mm-hmm. back out of there a lot quicker. Um, and I, to be honest, I haven't really found that it fatigues me that much more. Actually, when I did my first actual competition set of 28 kg snatch that was predominantly a squattish style snatch that i did for Mm -hmm. um i think i had to stop about eight minutes but i did something like 114 or something um and i didn't really find that to be my, my limiting factor to be honest and it was one of those things where i wanted to actually try out a full set 
doing a bit of a mm-hmm. squatish snatch and see if I could, if my legs would tire out, if that would give out first. And, uh, that didn't seem to be the case. It wasn't my legs. It was, it was still definitely my grip. Um, yeah. so, uh, so do you try to, do you strive for, do you still keep the pendulum in your cleans? Do you ever consider trying to do more of a hard style clean or how do you feel about that? I would, that would only really be if I was, if I was going fast, racing the guy next to you. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and I mean, of you know, end of the set, I'll get into that more of like a dead hang type clean. But in general, you know, I have a, I don't have a very long clean stroke anyways. Um, like I don't get too far over. I don't do the big full leg yeah. straighten in the back and I do the thumbs forward. So that tends to shorten it up as well. And then I, I, I don't do a big high clean. I tend to land it fairly tightly into the rack. So that's not really where I where I slow. Um, it's more just being fit and being prepared to jerk straight out of the rack kind of thing. But definitely in snatches, I mean, I, I my best snatch numbers on the twenty eight and the thirty two in competition and in training have been, you know, dead hang. You know, not dead hang, but like that more dead you know, straight down, straight up squat style snatch. Not, um, not a, an extra re-lengthening in the bottom of the yeah. backswing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for me, the only thing that I've found in all truth, because I think for most people, uh, if you're a, if you're a fit individual, the snatch isn't going to burn you out. I mean, they've done, they've done tests on it and it doesn't really get that high into your VO two max. Um, maybe if you're doing like a full on sprint with like a heavy bell, that would probably, that might get you closer. But I think, you know, I've never really felt like it was anything other than my grip, forearms, hands that have failed me on snatches. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless Um, you're physically, unless you're physically going as fast as you can, it's doubtful you're going to hit that threshold. You know, of course, like, you know, I've had nutritious issues where, you know, I wasn't, I didn't eat well or I was dehydrated. And then that caused me to, you know, get fatigued faster. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just in general, yeah, it's not, um, it's not, it's not that like, especially with, with that kind of mid weight bell, you know, like with the 24, it's never fatigue that stops me from doing, going, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah. being able to keep the bell in the hand. Right. So, but I think with cleans, um, more often than not, we're not trying to do above 12 reps a minute. And 12 reps a minute, uh, I mean, I honestly think is a pretty, is a definitely doable pace with strong technique and still using a good swing back clean. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um, let's finish off with a quick review of uh, your ZBEX stuff. Um, cause okay. you have both the bike and the rower, the ZBEX rower. No, I just have the bike, but I have oh. used the rower. Oh, okay. Cause you put a few yeah. together, right? I built you did a some few assembly. Up, yeah. Okay. And I had to do a little maintenance and yeah. yeah. But, but you also have your own rower, right? Like a concept too or something like yes. that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, 
how do you, we'll just start with the basics. How do you implement those uh, devices into your training? So for me, um, I, you don't have to give away any secrets here. Well, there's no (laughs) secrets. (laughs) No, honestly, like they're just, they're conditioning tools. Um, that's, that's it. I don't, I, I don't mix, um, I don't mix business with pleasure. You know what I mean? Like, um, when I'm training kettlebell sport, I'm training kettlebell sport. Um, I don't, I keep it pretty simple that way. And I keep things fairly separate. Um, I might, you know, for example, I'll, I'll use it where, you know, I'll do a conditioning activity and then follow it up with, you know, like an assistance, uh, whether that be cleans like just cleans or just, you know, maybe like glove snatch or swing snatch or things like of that nature. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're conditioning tools for me. Um, they're keeping, they're keeping the pizza at bay They're um, things like that. So I don't, I don't do a lot of, um, you know, blurring between sport and Zbex or sport and rower. Um, unless I want to have a little bit of a mind, mindless fun, then maybe I set up, you know, a bit of a circuit or something like that. So you're saying you don't really use the ZBEX to enhance your kettlebell sport? Well, I do, but not like, I don't use it. It'd be, it'd be in, hard not to even incidentally. Um, but yeah, continue. Oh yeah, no, exactly. That's what I mean. Like it's, is it, it's for my conditioning. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't. If personally for me, I find running running for me is the best for my personal in enhancing my jerks. Okay. Not, not because running is better at in increasing VO two max than the ZBEX air bike or a concept two rower or whatever, but because running, um, it, 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 it it reminds me about certain aspects that I personally need to re- be reminded of um, that when I'm using, when I'm applying those, those aspects uh, into my jerks, you know, things come together well. And, you know, running of course is a great way to build, you know, to condition and to maintain body yeah. weight. But, you know, I love, you know, my air bike, my Zbix air bike is great. I love using the concept too. Um, so that that's more what I mean. Of course, they, you know, they make me more fit. They make me more conditioned. They make me more, um, you know, they, resilient and tolerant to uh, the pizza? Those energy changes. And pizza, yeah. And they <laughs> keep pizza at bay. Okay. Um, I, I, I find, like, I, I, so I have the ZBX air bike and... Um, yeah. I will definitely use it for interval type stuff, but I'll also just hop on there and do some basic, uh, just pure, just calorie burn stuff where I set up my iPad in front of me. And, but to be honest, actually with the air bike, that's a lot harder to do than doing it on like a treadmill because, uh, it, I don't feel like the bike lends itself that well to mindless aerobic activity. Probably partially because, um, the harder you push, the harder it gets. And so you can't find like a, 
uh, a, a stride where you have like a little bit of inertia and, and it's just like continuous and you can keep going. Unlike even running where you, you actually have a little bit of inertia. But I found right. that the running, I think the running for me is really good as a sub AT um, energy system thing where I can work. For me, I can, I can get and maintain my heart rate to 150-ish running. Uh, yeah. Spin class, it's, it's hard enough to get my heart rate up to 140. I don't know how p- you can improve fitness in a, in a, fit, in a spin class. Uh, <laughs> unless you're strictly just doing intervals. Because yeah. um, like even then, the last spin class I taught, we did a shitload of intervals and even did a couple of max wing gates at the end. And uh, my heart rate didn't even break 170. Yeah. Like with a solid, with two solid 30 second wing gates, it couldn't even break yeah. 170. Um, but the running, like, especially at the end of a 5k, if I, if I kind of sprint home, I can get my heart rate 170, even to 180 if I really push it. And so for me, the oh, running yeah. is a really great sub maximum aerobic power zone that can be stretched out into half an hour, which is really valuable. And then, yeah. And then, you know, there's other things I like to do that are more of that aerobic utilization where you're doing like 130 to 150 uh, uh, heart uh, heart rate. Um, But then the ZBEX, I found a lot of value doing like a post anaerobic threshold recovery, like after some difficult kettlebell sets. Um, Mm -hmm. I do like mixing it up with some circuits where... Um, I'll do like a, a 10 minute, um, block of Zbex and then do 30 second plyometric type exercises, maybe five or six of them, and then hop back on the bike for 10 minutes and basically repeat that cycle. Um, where I'm going back and forth between this, uh, kind of re- recovery buffer, uh, long duration with some really short duration, really powerful or, or high speed, quick movement type stuff, explosive type stuff. Um, I found that to be really fun. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think there's definitely a way that you can use the bike. That's really not all that useful. Um, and I, I just feel like sitting on the bike for 30 minutes. I don't know, unless you, unless you're actually pushing the pace. Uh, how, yeah, yeah. how many longer sets have you done on the bike? Um, I've done, I've done a couple hour ones. Um, I've done, you know, a few like 30 minute here and there. And was that um, mainly just for, the, uh, the health aspect or the, you know, the keeping the pizza at bay kind of aspect, just getting some calorie burn in there? Yeah, a bit. Say like when I did the. The, this, the two hours that I did, I actually pushed it, you know, pretty good, had a goal of, you know, and I mean, for whatever it is, but had a goal of hitting, you know, like the last one, my goal was hitting 36 kilometers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that was, that was a good push. That was a challenging push, kept the heart rate up pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like say last night I did a half hour and, you know, it was, it was an easy half hour. I averaged, you know, about 120 kind of heart rate and, you know, yeah, I got it up to about 170, but that was pretty short. And, um, I find, yeah, like if I really just want to get out for an easy 30 minutes, but know that it's going to be really building, then running is, is the best for that. Yeah. Um, jumping on the Z-Bex and doing 30 minutes or jumping on the rower, 
and to do just like a really light, mindless 30 minutes is going to be, honestly, it's going to be probably at, at, you know, it's going to only have me at, you know, 125, 130 average, you know what I mean? Because anything above that, it's like, there's no 130 on the Z-Bex. There's either 120 <laughs> or there's 150. You know what I mean? Right. Like there's nothing in the middle. If it, it's hits, either if it hits 130, it's, it's climbing. <laughs> exactly. Right. And it's, and that's almost the same thing with the rower where it's like in order, in order to get there, in order to get above that kind of comfort zone, it just takes you above. Yeah. And if you stay under that and you're really comfortable, then it's just not that challenging. Mm-hmm. The thing I really like about the bike um, say compared to running is, is it's like, it's truly unloaded. You know what I mean? Like, and that's where I think it's really good is for that, you know, just buffering away waste. I mean, you can't tell me. And I mean, it's, it's not that it's not good for you, but if you kick the hell out of yourself in a, in 30 minutes of kettlebell sport and you're full of, you know, <laughs> lactate or your, you know, hydrogen ions or boom through the roof, and then you go out and run 30 minutes and you're banging around on your joints and all of that. I mean, I don't think that that's really, that's probably not the best active recovery. You know what I mean? Um, whereas hopping on the z is just going to be like, you can get in there and you can still get a bit of, you could even push a bit because you can go just arms you can go just legs and mm-hmm. really clear a lot of that stuff out um, without jarring and without banging around. Um, and, but still more than just going out for a walk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think in, in, in my search to find ways to justify dropping as much money as I did on that thing, it's always yeah. trying to figure out what's the best way to use this piece of equipment. And, um, yeah. I do have, and this is probably just the bodybuilder in me talking. I have an affinity for, uh, low intensity, steady state stuff. Um, where yeah. I can just kind of go mindlessly and maybe put on a movie and just do that. Um, yeah. but it's just, man, when I'm on the bike, it's either I want to go all the way or I just or don't want to do it at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, more or less. Um, yeah. but, uh, that being said, uh, last night I did just like 20 minutes on there, just really slow, just, um, you know, getting in a little bit of calorie burn and just a little bit of active recovery, uh, in preparation yeah. for today for my jerk sets and stuff that I did today. Um, and so when you, when you are on either the air bike or the rower, do you kind of think of it more in terms of distance rather than time? Um, do you, on the rower, I tend to be more distance focused, um, on the bike, I'm more time because I think, and I guess for me, it's just because after doing, you know, like three years of a pretty of a good chunk of rowing um and you know like logging and checking distances and times and all this stuff this was on the water uh no no sorry like i uh, just on a concept too like on indoor okay. i've actually never done any water rowing but um getting into just spending so long kind of really focusing on that and then i find like you know with the zbex you're kind of going okay well this doesn't really equate to an actual distance to me you know what i mean like 
it, because it's so like, okay, I've got this bike, but it's got arms. Yeah. So the, the speed and everything just, it doesn't like my brain doesn't immediately go like, yes, I'm going 36 kilometers an hour. Right. So I don't really care that much about that, but it's more of like, just, I look at it just purely for 30 minutes or, okay, I'm going to do 10 minutes and I'm going to see how many calories or whatever it is, you know? It almost feels more like uh, you're a, a quadruped animal and you're, it's more like you're running yeah, on all yeah, right. fours than anything else, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So quickly, and, and we'll wrap it up with this. So what in general do you like about the rower and how it applies to enhancing your fitness and ergo enhancing your sport? <clears throat> well, for me, the rower um, I find is just really good for um just that that lactic you know just dealing with that waste buildup that you know i try to i don't you know i'm not a rower so um i i will alter my stroke to sort of meet my desired uh goal in a given set you know like so sometimes if I'm really trying to focus maybe a bit more on sport, um, I'm going to use a, a much shorter stroke. I'm not going to get nearly as deep into my knees. I'm going to focus a bit more on my hips um, and really just focus on that power generation and that speed um, in, in that way. So that's kind of my thing is just focusing, just reminding myself to not get too caught up on, oh, my heart rate's not high enough. But going, okay, but we're getting a little bit more into some of that anaerobic threshold kind of stuff and and what can you know, what kind of what kind of waste can you tolerate? You know, what can you buffer away and uh and going from there. And that's sort of the same kind of a thing with the air bike when I'm really pushing it, you know. Um, for that ten minute set, say, as opposed to the thirty minute. Um and changing, you know, just going feet or just going hands or and just kind of hopping on there and going, okay, this is going to be 10 minutes of just grueling mm -hmm. and we're going to push this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they can be used for very much a lot of the same things, but still they're so very different using the rower versus the air bike. Um, obviously the movements are quite different, but uh, mm -hmm. I think one of the huge differences is the range of motion that your body's traveling in. Like uh, when you're rowing, yeah. you're compressing down and then you're expanding out and it's this really big range of motion, this really big stride. But then yeah. on the bike, it's, you know, your feet are pedaling, your arms are pushing and pulling, and that's really just mm -hmm. about it. But you can still get uh, a lot of that power generation. But with the rower, it's very much that intermittent uh, power generation, which is much more akin to the kettlebell. And then the bike is a lot more continuous, much yeah. like running would be. It's, 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 it's more, um, I mean, kettlebells are still cyclical, but, uh, it's more that immediate cyclical kind of pattern. Um, yeah. and then of course with the bike, you get that, uh, and I mentioned this last time, is you get that cross-body um, reciprocating action with the arms moving in transition with the legs, which I really yep. like about that, um, which is not necessarily missing from the rower, but the rower is very uh, bilateral. 
And then yeah. on the bike, you can use your limbs a bit more independently. So they're, they have all of those great, um, they're, they're very complementary to each other when in, mm-hmm. in, you could even say, um, yeah. yeah. Do you think one has more value towards kettlebell sport than the other, or do you think it really matters that much? Um, I, me personally, I think it's, I think it's, it's the way that you apply it really. I knew you were going to say that. For me personally, <laughs> honestly, like running, running for me is, uh, I've never, I've never really experienced that kind of a, a carryover beyond just straight purely fitness between the rower and kettlebells. It's always been when I was, you know, by my best sport numbers were always in conjunction with my best running numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was putting in, you know, a couple five, six K's a week and then a long 10 or 12 K, um, uh, those, that was always when I was hitting my best sport numbers. But you realize that we won't be able to get any money from Zbex if we keep talking about running. No, that's very true. <laughs> that's very true. But I do, you know, and, and I guess, you know, from that end, yes. I mean, I think that they're great. I yeah. do, honestly. Um, I, I love, I personally think for me, the bike would be more effective than the rower. Oh, really? That kind of surprised yeah. me only because I know you to be, uh, to, to have put a lot of miles on the rower. Right. And yeah. I think the bike is a relatively new acquisition for you. Yes, it is. Not uh, that you I haven't used it, them in the past, but no, but like it's because it's such a, I just think. Because what what I need from my conditioning is not, you know, an improvement in my VO2 max. I need something that that almost is more. I mean, yes, of course, I need that. Yeah, <laughs> don't get me wrong. But I mean, I need something that that is is kind of reminding me in that same fashion that, you know, it's about you know speed. It's about you know that hip extension and and. I need something that's not going to maybe be that continuous focus on uh, anti-flexion, say. You know what I mean? Like, I do – well, everything we do in kettlebell sport is is in some ways extension or anti-flexion, the, right? The primary movement, more so or less. It's just like – so for me, hopping on the rower – is is kind of exacerbating that in almost a way and i'm not the most uh i I like to kill multiple birds with stones so if i'm doing something that's exacerbating then i need to spend even more time you know working on you know hip flexors working on quads working on you know mid back and that whereas Mm -hmm. you know maybe the bike isn't doing that isn't exacerbating and in some ways is actually maybe aiding things a little bit by having that, you know, that cross body action and having a bit of that, you know, small, but rotation through thoracic spine that keeps Mm -hmm. things maybe a little bit more limbered up than say that purely bilateral frontal plane kind of a rowing action. Yeah. Well, with regards to whether it's the rower or the bike, um, especially if you spend a lot of time on it, those hips are going to get tight and that's where, Running, even though still, especially since it's more of a high impact activity, you can still incur 
um, some flexor tightness for sure on the eccentric, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the majority of that motion itself occurs in a hip extended position. So exactly. it's very yeah. much more, um, again, lends itself to aiding in, uh, yeah. in, in, in that aspect. So, um, yeah, those are really good points. And, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, that's good. We covered a lot of ground and, uh, I appreciate it. I think a lot of people are going to take away a lot from this. Good. All right. Well, All right, it's, 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 it's been a slice, um, yeah. just to keep playing on the, the pizza theme. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thank you for joining me today. I will let you get back to your personal life and everything else and training and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, we'll talk before then, but, um, I know that I think my next competition that we have kind of lined up is going to be uh, Moose Jaw Canadian uh, Nationals. But um, are you headed to San Fr- or are you going in February to the WAKSC meet? I am not going okay. to that, unfortunately. It would be uh, great, but I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not in a place to go and right compete at a at a level that I'd be interested in. Okay. Um, yeah. what about in March? Uh, still a bit close. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. That would be maybe a last minute kind of a, mm-hmm. see if they can squeeze me in. Okay. But I'll do, you know, I'll do April in Vancouver. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, about that. yeah. And then we'll go, um, yeah, at the oval there. So that, that'll be good. And then, yeah, moose jaw and kind of go from there see what's out. And available. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Charlie. And uh, you have yourself a good day. You too. All right. Thanks, bud. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.